Welcome to Clareton Conversation, a podcast of voices from the creative industry. Here, we explain voices about how we ended up, where we ended up, and we share great works of art that inspired us and that we, in turn, create. These are our first few episodes, and we're really pleased that we've had the opportunity to come together. My name is Katie Espester, and I'm the editor and publisher behind Claret Press and Clapham Publishing Services. Our guest today is Catherine O'Brien. Catherine O'Brien is a voice artist from New York City. She has narrated numerous audiobooks for many different publishers. Her experience includes works in such varied fields as romance, historical fiction, fantasy, biography, memoir, mysteries, children's books, and other genres. In 2016, Catherine O'Brien set up her own audiobook company, Essential Audiobooks. And in the few short years since then, her works have been nominated for five different awards, including the Sovas Awards in 2016 and 17, and the 2017 Here Now, the Audiobook Fiction and Arts Festivals. So, Catherine, you're a long way from home. Welcome to England. Thank you. What's it like being here? Well, it's great because you might be able to tell from my accent that I was actually born here. So how do you mimic an American accent then if you have to do Mark Twain or anything else like that? Do you just... Quite simple, I don't. You don't? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, I can. If I have a count one character in a book with doesn't have many lines, I can do an American accent. But otherwise, my American husband laughs so loudly, he falls off the sofa if he hears me trying to do an American <laughs> accent. So I, I kind of stick with European ones. <laughs> so you've been a voice artist for a number of different audiobooks. Have you always done a British narration? Yeah, I have actually narrated a number of books um, where the authors have been American, but they have been happy to have an English uh, an English voice uh, narrating their work. Or in the case of uh, Little Women, for example, my, I'm never going to let you listen to my Canadian Anne of Green Gables. Or <laughs> I didn't know you'd done Anne of Green Gables. Yes, it's not out yet. That's, that's the one coming soon. Oh, I'm looking for, yeah. looking for it. Yeah. Now, how did, uh, how did somebody English end up in the States doing Little Women? It's an extraordinary kind of leap you've made. Well, I moved to the States not that long, about 12 years ago now, um, after a career doing something totally different in England. I was born in England, lived in England right until around about 2008. And um, I married my uh, American boyfriend then and now husband and moved to New York. 12 um, years ago. 12 years ago. Uh, and was so. it a big transition to go from England to the States? Um it was really because we, although we live in New York, uh, the place we stayed first was um, a tiny, tiny little island just off Long Island, island called Fire Island. Uh, and the village we lived in has 44 year round residents, goes up <laughs> to about 2000 in the summer, but uh, it were no cars or boardwalks and uh, Oh, you can get off. There is a there is a bridge, so you can get to the mainland. But it was um, people think, oh, going to New York, it's so exciting, and think of Manhattan. But actually, I went from London to very very quiet place. <laughs> so it was quite a culture shock, but maybe not in the way people think. What sparked your interest in creating, uh, being a voice artist? Well, I have um, 
I had a background in amateur dramatic. My mother actually was a speech and drama teacher, so I was dragged along to her classes from as long as I can remember. And I did a lot of sort of local radio and amateur dramatics. And But I, I've always had a sort of relatively performing background. And uh, for woo-hoo, about 23 years, I worked for a very large corporation running the chief executive's office in London. And I uh, also uh, voiced a whole load of uh, corporate uh, training videos and things. And when the companies merged, um, they used me to say how excited we all were about the merger of the two companies. And I had friends ringing me from all around the world saying, I walked in, I heard your voice this morning from Australia and New Zealand (laughs) and Spain and France. (laughs) So that was kind of fun. So I, I have done a lot of performances, but nothing particularly professional. And my lovely husband, um, when we were discussing what I perhaps I could do, he said, well, Americans love English accents. Why don't you, quote, do voiceover, unquote? Mm-hmm. And it's not actually that easy to just nothing get is, do Catherine, Nothing is. <laughs> but after I, I ended up training as an emergency medical technician uh, volunteer on the island because my husband's a volunteer firefighter. And seeing as he got woken up in the middle of the night, I thought I may as well go and do something useful as well. Um, but that doesn't take up an awful lot of time, apart from in the summer. So I was still kind of bored. I mean, I had a wonderful time. I read more books than I think ever since I was at school. So that was a great treat. That's my fantasy. Mm. Oh, it was heaven. But I really thought I ought to be doing something more sort mm-hmm. of useful or something. Uh, and I found a company, um, a studio that uh, does um, auditions and things to, for, to train you to do voiceovers in Manhattan. So I auditioned, I passed, and I signed up for the course. And on my second coaching session, um, my now friend said, uh, there's a company called ACX, which is owned by Amazon, and it works with Audible. And it's a kind of dating agency for authors and narrators. Mm -hmm. And she said, you won't get a job, but have a look at it. Find something that you think is suitable for your voice. And if you feel adventurous, um, submit an audition. So do you do you pitch for this? Do you bid? Like, I'll do your book for, you know, nine ninety five, And if you even if you call now, I'll throw in a free set of saucepans. No, the author says how much they're prepared to pay per finished hour. I see. And I actually found a first-time author, which I thought was only fair because I was a first-time narrator. And most first-time authors agree to do a royalty share. So in those days, um, the royalty share was actually quite generous. Um, So I did my audition. I found a nice book and submitted my audition and never expected to hear anything. Um, And half an hour later, the publisher contacted me and said, yes, please do it. Which was great, except I had no idea how to do it properly. I didn't have a booth, a recording booth. I I did have a microphone, but it really wasn't quite good enough. Um, and I had no idea to operate the software. Anyway, I learned very quickly. <laughs> and I must have done something right, because the publisher subsequently asked me to do every other title on his books. Lovely. Um, so fortunately, I discovered that I absolutely love narrating audiobooks. I can't believe how accidental this is. It's 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 just been so, um, you know, unplanned, unscripted, stumbling into something, and and this and and yet such a pleasure. It was wonderful. It's exactly what everybody Mm. wants. They're doing Mm. something that they genuinely love. They never thought they'd have a chance to do it, and it's 
and you start off with a bang. Oh, Fantastic. It was, it was wonderful. So right from the beginning, you were freelance. At no point did you, were you... Is that typical no, mo- for most in, in America, I think it's about 80% of voice artists um, work from home from their own studios. I see. And work for... Uh, it's extremely unusual to just work for one publisher. Um, although now... Um, you really so many audiobooks are produced uh you could actually do that i think i think penguin random house do do employ well, well. i think penguin random house is the same sort you know they say there's five publishing companies in the world mm-hmm. and penguin random house is the same size as four others put together yeah yeah there's there's a lot 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 more work the audiobook uh, world is exploding i mean uh, when i started out it was quite usual for uh, authors not to even be uh, asked to sell their audio rights. They'd buy everything else, but not not audio. Yeah. So I have the contract I signed with my authors <clears throat> uh, for Claret Press. It takes into consideration the fact that e-books and audio books have been invented in the in the re- very recently, mm-hmm. and have, and have kind of looked forward and thought, well, what about other forms of technology that haven't yet been invented? Mm-hmm. Let's protect ourselves. So I have a modern contract which just kind of says. No matter what happens, <laughs> any form, <laughs> yeah, any form, any place in the universe, you gotta go through me. It's it's ludicrous. It's completely over. The, I modeled it on the BBC. It's what the BBC oh, yeah, does, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and I and I got it. That that's what the inspiration was. And I had a BBC arts producer say mm. that to me. Mm. Is that you have to assume that five years down the line, they're going to invent a completely new way of doing storytelling. Mm. So you you better protect yourself. Mm. And I took that advice to heart. So you're creating audiobooks now in New York on mm. this mm. this island. This we did actually move to the mainland as well. So as we, well. Yeah, our, our, after yeah. the, a big hurricane, we decided that it wasn't such a good oh, idea yeah. not to have uh, a house out of the floodplain. So um, <laughs> <laughs> a foothold on our land. Yeah, yeah. So my studio is actually in our, our main house on the mainland now in Long Island. So you built a an entire studio in your house then? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. It's only it's 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 not huge. It's but it's um, I'm lucky that I where we live. It's incredibly quiet. We have virtually no interfering noise or anything. So uh, uh, but I have my little my little whisper room. So, Catherine, mm. there's, there, it's one thing to go from working freelance for other companies. And I could, I can envision there's a very reasonable path that you follow. You make your name, you put your name out, you produce books, you, mm-hmm. you, uh, uh, you get better known, you get given more work, you, you kind of climb the ladder until you're a quote-unquote name. You get included on publishing houses as roster and then exactly. they cast you for appropriate exactly. stuff. Yeah. What, why go from that to the huge risk of starting up your own company? Well, I produced rather a lot of Regency romances and had always wanted to write Jane Austen's work the real stuff rather than the fake stuff um and a publishing house approached me and asked me if I would like to record all Jane Austen's work so I jumped at it and said yes please would love to and they offered a very decent rate per finished hour and everything and I recorded uh, Pride and Prejudice and Emma and got a note saying awfully sorry um 
the company's in liquidation. Uh oh. And uh, I'd never got any money. <laughs> but I discovered I really loved narrating Jane Austen's work um, and thought, well, I've got these two. Why don't I publish them myself? So I uh, created Essential Audiobooks, and that's, that's really how it started. I, I mean, I, I understand the logic behind you've got an English accent, you might do a good voiceover commercials. Um, how was there? How did you end up with? Like, it's not intuitive that leap then to audio books. Like, there's you could have done TV, you could have done corporate videos. I do, you, I do other forms of voiceover as well. But I, I just found that I absolutely love doing uh, audio books. Uh, I have a lot of friends in the voiceover business who um, audio books is their kind of hell. Uh, one of my coaches. <laughs> He said, I don't do more than two minutes. That's <laughs> well, horses so, for courses. Yeah, long, yeah. long form narration is, is a bit like a marathon, really. Yeah. It requires an awful lot of um, training your voice to talk for a long time because your poor vocal cords get very um, dried out. You have to drink. Well, I, I drink two liters of water before I even start in the mornings because oh. you absorb a lot more water in the morning. So you're vocal cords are nice and lubricated before you start. I didn't know that. Mm. Mm. Well, and and, and is, it, is it a different kind of way of using your voice then? It is. It's more like um, you're telling a story to your best friend. It's a very intimate form of performance. And it is really a performance, although you're, you're just acting as a conduit for the author. Um, and... You try not to cut, in, in, unless you're actually doing character voices, you try not to let your own feelings about the book colour it in any way at all. Otherwise, you may be being very unfair to the, particularly if there's a character in it that you don't particularly like, or um, you're not too keen on some of the subject matter or whatever. Um, I did speak to one of my coaches very early on. And I said, well, I really don't like this guy. I'm finding it really hard to, to portray him. And she said, it doesn't matter whether you like him or not. This is somebody's baby. They have spent years yeah. toiling over this beautiful work of art, even if you don't actually think so. But you, your duty is to the author and you have to do your absolute best. It's great when the author is actually around and you can chat with them and see how they how they want their characters mm. be portrayed, particularly if they're sort of different accents or something like that. But um, and can you do different accents? I do, yes. Can you give us an example? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I put you on the spot. I could do my um, one of my the favorite books uh, my that uh, I I, oh, I most enjoyed recording uh, was one that my nephew loved when he was about ten years old, and it's called The Ley Lines of Lushbury, and I ha it includes a lot of witches and ghosts and wizards yeah. and uh, all sorts of great stuff like that. And my nephew still likes hearing my my witch voice. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hear your witch voice? I couldn't possibly do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Very or good. Something. And what was it mm. like to go from being in a great big company in which you were you know part of a, a a kind of I don't want to make this sound heartless it's not like you were a cog in a machine but it, it's a great big thing and suddenly you're on your own you're freelance 
in the creative industry, no salary, no pension, no benefits. Was it a huge transition for you? It certainly was. Very scary leap in the dark. But um, but I was doing something I absolutely loved and uh, really had wanted to do and never, ever thought I'd ever get the opportunity to do all my life. It's... Um, it was so it was so enjoyable. I, although you do get the old thing, I I, <laughs> I narrated um, a few nonfiction books as well. Uh, one was sadly about a poor poor woman with Alzheimer's, which was very distressing because you knew it wasn't going to have a happy ending. Yes. Um, and the next one from the same publisher, they suggested I narrate a book about tranquilizers. I think they thought I need them <laughs> after that. <laughs> but on the whole, they're, they're really very, very enjoyable. And then was um, it a transition again, having been in the in the uh, uh, being freelance and working your way up the career? Was it then a, a big transition to be your own uh, own your own company or is it much of a muchness? Well, because you kind of you run your own voice business um, when you're narrating for lots of other people. When you're freelance, yeah. When you're freelance, anyway. So, um, but it, it, it obviously it's different having a lot of contractors, um, and yeah, it, it, um, I could really do without the admin work. But hey, yes, you and me <laughs> both, uh, Catherine. Yeah. It, it's uh, you know I've I've learned how to program an Excel spreadsheet, and I have to say that was never <laughs> one of my life's ambitions. And how's it going? Being your master of your own ship. Well, um, captain of your own ship. I just missed my. I think I mixed my metaphors there. My apologies. Captain of your own ship. It's 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 wonderful. It's very very hard work. Um, I am such a small company that has the advantage that I can really pick and choose the work I um, I produce. I'm very fortunate to have. Because you always have wonderful books. I think we have similar outlooks on, on the type of uh, title we like publishing. Yes, indeed. Um, and the great thing about producing, uh, working with other voices, is that I get to cast um, the books. So that's absolutely wonderful. What do you mean cast? Well, I... Um, one of your books, Brushstrokes in Time. By Sylvia Vetter. By Sylvia Vetter. Uh, was a wonderful book, um, and it's the story. Um, takes place in China. Takes place in China, and it chronicles written. the um, yeah. the stars art movement, which helped temporarily uh, open a space for um, freedom of speech, freedom of art. Produced Ai Weiwei, among other internationally renowned artists, who are now scattered to the four winds. Some were jailed and tortured, like Ai Weiwei. Some were simply just booted out of the country. Mm. And and it's and yes, it's a it's a fantastic novel about that. But it's told from the point of view of a, a mother, a Chinese mother, telling her American daughter, so she could explain what happened to her and all, yes. all the history. Yes. Uh, so I wanted. Um, Obviously, my voice would have been totally inappropriate for it. Uh, but I wanted an, an American voice, but I did want some... I, I really wanted an authentic voice for Little Winter. Um, the lead character The of, lead character uh, of, of Brushstrokes and Time. Of Brushstrokes and Time, yeah. yes. But I didn't, um, I didn't necessarily want a Chinese accent. That wasn't it's particularly relevant. It was to, very de- yeah. yeah, but I did want somebody who had a facility with Chinese, so she could pronounce um, all the place names and uh, other names and everything properly. Mm-hmm. And I this gave me quite a bit of problems, really. Um, 
I found a, a one American voice that was great, but she just had no idea how to pronounce any Chinese. And she said she'd have some coaching, but I didn't think her voice was quite right. And I went to the Association of um, Audiobook Publishing Conference in Chicago uh, a couple of years ago. And I was, uh, which is amazing, about 4,000 voice artists in one auditorium. It's a rather scary place to be. <laughs> <laughs> noisy, anyway. Um, not scary, but noisy. And I heard this wonderful voice behind me. And I just turned around. I grabbed the owner of the voice. And I said, you're doing a book for me. And by sheer coincidence, uh, it's a, a wonderful actor called Carolyn McLaughlin, but well, that's not a Chinese name, McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. But she's Carolyn Juan McLaughlin, <laughs> and oh. her mother was Chinese. Ah. So she, and she totally fell in love with the book. Fantastic. Uh, and she said the story could have been her mother's story. She, she just, she said it's the most wonderful book she's ever narrated. And you could hear that with your back to there the voice. There was something, no, she has a completely regular American accent. She was born in California. Right. Um, but something about her tone, the tone in her voice, really... I uh, spoke to me. I thought, oh, I think maybe that would. Well, I, I just said, ah, that's a little winter, actually. <laughs> How important <laughs> is it to get the voice right? Is very, that really very, very important indeed? Yeah, because it. it um, I, again, it goes back to the doing your best for the author. I really wanted the authentic voice to come through. Yes. Um, I suppose I I I listen to re- BBC Radio and. There are some very popular programs, <laughs> and um, I say to my 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 friends in here, you know, oh, did you hear? I don't know, whatever program happened to be. And they go, oh, I just can't stand that man's voice. Oh no, I never listen to it. No, I don't. I just don't even turn the radio on oh. on a Thursday because he. I might hear his voice, and it's just like, oh, it's like nails on the chalkboard for me. Can't you wait think, more. <laughs> really? And you know, I'm kind of oblivious to it. I think. Oh. But the content's so good. It's such an interesting program. But people respond viscerally to voices mm. at a non-rational level. Mm. It's mm. like, it's like they take included. it personally. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I never read my own reviews because it's a bit painful, it can be, uh, or embarrassing if they're too too <laughs> effusive. Um, but I did, I did read one um review by by accident it was one of a a regency romance and it was from an american uh, person who listened to my my book and she said that's the most fake english accent i have ever heard (laughs) (laughs) and apparently this is a problem because you get a lot of american actors doing english accents so uh, most americans think that's how english accents sound so if you get a genuine brit doing it they think it's fake Uh, it's a very common comment from a lot of my fellow actors well your your voice is very beautiful it's a beautiful voice and and i would imagine it'd be very easy to listen to you Uh, (laughs) yes well it's your it's your job so tell me more about 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 what it's like to run your own company as an audiobook producer you enjoying it? Is it tricky? It's very tricky. As I say, the production side and everything is an absolute joy. Um, yeah. It's a complete delight, but it's becoming more and more difficult to actually make any money out of it. Although, conversely, audiobooks are becoming so popular. Um, but small audiobook companies are really being squeezed by um, the big 
the big ones, Amazon, Audible particularly. Um, and it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it's great that people want to buy audiobooks. That's absolutely fantastic. But the new subscription services where you just pay a certain amount every month and you get two or three audiobooks or whatever it is, um, reduce the amount of royalties down to... Negligible. Yeah, yeah, I know. I deal with Amazon. Do you think it might be possible, Catherine, uh, that this is a similar situation with publishing, where Amazon came in and and was just, uh, you know, a wrecking ball? And the only people that just wiped out the whole kind of mid-ranking publishers that, you know, were not doing brilliantly, but they were able to make a living and then hire people and play Mm. and produce authors, mid-ranking authors. Mm. And Amazon just wiped them out. Mm. And the only ones who survived were the big five. Mm -hmm. In those days, a big six, which then Random House bought Penguin. And so it became the big five. Mm. And itsy-bitsy-teensy-weensy little publishers that kind of forage for scraps on the periphery. Is that the way audiobooks are going to go too, do you think? Well, I hope not. Um, but it is it, it is very difficult. I think with any business, when it suddenly expands so incredibly rapidly, um, everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon and you get all sorts of, particularly with Amazon Audible, where anyone with a smartphone and microphone um, can uh, record an audiobook. Um, same way you can publish your shopping list if you want. Yes, you <laughs> I mean, absolutely there's, can. And, there's, I, and there's people do. There's no, no quality control. <laughs> yeah, there's no filter. So until everything kind of settles down, and I do believe it will, because there'll be a huge, there is an, a huge difference between somebody sitting over their smartphone recording dinosaur porn or something, um, <laughs> which I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have given you that image. Uh, that That is a genre. <laughs> is it really? I'm afraid so. Dinosaur uh, pornography. Mm. Oh, uh, you know, I think that actually genuinely left me speechless there. <laughs> dinosaur pornography. Okay, yes, it's not... Thank you, Amazon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> To think I could have gone to my grave without ever knowing about dino porn. You'll never forgive me for that, will you? Yeah, it's like the Flintstones, except not as, not as, uh, yuck. Don't tell uh, me you got a contract to produce dino porn. Someone asked me to actually. Really? <laughs> something I know. Yes, it was. Um, well, I, I have to confess I said no. Don't, okay, I didn't the read logistics. the script. I don't want to know. I just want to know about no. the logistics. No, I can put you in touch with somebody who no, wrote no, no, one. no, no. <laughs> I'll have to remember to set my filter oh, to block mm. dino porn. <laughs> uh, it, uh. it is it is extraordinary what people produce. Mm. And I think the trick for, um, certainly in the publishing industry, and, I, and I'm sure this is true for you in the audiobook industry, is not producing a niche product. You know, like, for example, yeah. we were talking about brushstrokes in time. Yeah. Uh, you know, an engaging read about China. Yeah. But getting it in front of the people who would be genuinely interested in reading about the Stars Art movement. Mm. That's the tricky bit in this day and age. It, it is. I mean, the, the thing I've tried to uh, concentrate on to make essential audiobooks stand out from, from the crowd is really producing very good quality um, productions. Um, and I also have... Uh, of composers that work with me so that to uh, create um, original music to go with the to go with the audiobooks in fact for brushstrokes in time alistair robertson um 
listen to lots and lots of Chinese composers and music of, of the period and created something That's appropriate to go with the book. So I concentrate on um, favorite classics and working with the Claret Press books. I, I do really high quality, interesting and, and slightly different um, young adult books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are recognized for being that little bit different. So um, we do have, uh, fortunately, a lot of a lot of people who are actually interested in um, essential audiobooks as lists. Uh, so you've got a brand. So I have a brand, yes, yes. Um, unfortunately, they can buy it from Amazon and we don't get quite yes. as much money as we would do. But, well, uh, well, okay, but so at least they, they are seeking us out. Um, where do you recommend that you that people buy you from? Like what, what's your... Well, I also sell... I have three different distributors now as well. Um, we are distributed by a company called Findaway. Uh, that's actually come, it's very interesting. They started out... Um, pr- uh, producing tiny little uh, individual tape machines that just had one book on them um, for the military. Oh. So uh, soldiers far sitting gone. far away. <laughs> no, 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 no. They take the mind off everything and listen to, oh, I, I don't know, yeah. um, Mark Twain or something. <laughs> uh, but they developed into one of the biggest uh, audiobook distribution companies in the world. And they, they distribute to... Um, global libraries and also still the military and schools and all sorts. Wonderful. Um, we're also distributed by, obviously, Audible um, and a company called Downpour that was set up by Blackstone Publishing. Uh, I like and, the name of that, Downpour. That's mm, a good... Yeah, but both Findaway cool. and Downpour are good names. Funnily enough, they're both actually based, I think, in the same town in Cincinnati, which is oh, really is funny. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Ohio, I mean, but uh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And so you've Um, been now doing this professionally for how long? 12 years, you said. Uh, about 10 years, actually. I've been narrating. and For 10 years. Yeah, and Essential Audiobooks has been going since 2016. Yeah. And of of those 10 years, what's what's the piece of work that you've created that you think is the best? Well, my... My very favourite of all has has got to be Pride and Prejudice. Oh, um, I love it. Was that a favourite from when I was uh, uh, well very young, and uh, I've always loved it. Um, and it was the first one of Jane Austen's work that I I produced myself, uh, and it was just just heavenly to read. It's really wonderful, and it's so funny. And the problem is, it's so well known. So I had terrible trouble narrating the first sentence um i think Let's it see. took me almost as long it is it a is truth a tr- universally <laughs> exactly. acknowledged every young man with a fortune is in search of a good wife is in search of a wife not even a good wife just a wife yeah <laughs> something that's, like that yeah. that's one of the most famous first lines <laughs> in exactly. the whole world exactly. you know in the history of literature that's so that was a bit yeah. daunting to have to do that yeah. but uh, i can imagine I, I probably spent more time on that than <laughs> not quite the rest of the book combined, yeah. but uh, the, 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 a lot. Yeah, yeah the kind of like no pressure mm. there like no pressure no. yeah no, but I'd had the characters' voices in my head forever, so it was it was just a joy to produce. It yeah. was really wonderful, and I was very um, honoured to uh, be nominated for a Society Voice Arts Award Ooh, as well, well for that. Done. So well done. That was uh, that and was well deserved. Wonderful. I've no doubt. It's I would imagine oh. with classics, it's quite challenging because people know them so well. In an odd way, it must be easier with with books that are just being freshly published, where Absolutely. it's not being, 
I mean, everybody has an image of Elizabeth Bennet in their head yeah. and Mr. Darcy, yeah. you know, and they, they know what, they know her. And then you come in and with a different, and it's like, oh, no, she's got that one all wrong. <laughs> and did you get that kind of feedback? Um, sometimes, um, but with, with favourite books, it's like listening to your favourite symphony or something. You wouldn't say, oh, I only like the London Symphony Orchestra's performance of something. Oh, okay. You like hearing other people's interpretations of okay, the same enough. work of art. Fair, fair so enough. So actually, because a lot of very famous actors who've, who've narrated Pride and Prejudice. And um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a... Took a bit of nerve to come up and yes, <laughs> stand against that, but uh, but it was it was great fun, really, really great, wonderful. Isn't it? Well, we will be listening to a clip from Pride and Prejudice, and we'll come back in a second. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighbourhood. This truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. My dear Mr. Bennet, said his lady to him one day, have you heard that Netherfield Park is let at last? Mr. Bennet replied that he had not. Well, that was indeed lovely, Catherine. It's, um, it's uh, a, beautiful, a beautiful job you've done of of that and is this your favorite character of all times like what's your favorite is this Pride and Prejudice is your favorite book you've done um pretty much Emma is a lot of fun as well and yes. also Sense and Sensibility I mean they're 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 all such a such a delight although um you do have to do a lot of uh, breathing exercises before you narrate Jane Austen because they're very, very, very long sentences Indeed. that go on for an awful long time without any particular obvious breaks for um, breathing. <laughs> <laughs> well, breathing, you just can't overrate its importance as far as I'm concerned. It, it's pretty fundamental. Mm. Uh, so, have you ever thought about doing Dickens? I have done A Christmas Carol. Uh. And yes, I... I um, I uh, always wanted to do, um, to record David Copperfield. So uh, Why? when my list goes down, it was always one of my favourites as a child. I think this is this is part of the problem. I'm sort of reverting to my um, story-filled childhood, and uh, my my mother used to read us uh, stories every Sunday afternoon. We always sat down and listened to whichever book was on on the go, and they're always the classics. She did Little Women as well, and. Um, I think she read uh, David Copperfield as one of the ones. And what, what, so. Is it difficult for... I'm just thinking of Watership Down, for instance. I think it was the last time anybody read a book to me. If you were to acquire the right to Watership Down, how would you go about doing that? What's the process? Is, Ooh. It, is it tricky? Well, it, it's, it can be, but it, it's, it's more time-consuming than anything else. I... I I do a lot of preparation, um, probably more than most people. Um, but there is a reason for that, which I'll tell you in a bit. But uh, I read the book just for, for pleasure to start with. Yes, of course. And then I go through and mark out any words that I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce or um, something I need to check. Um, and then I go and look everything up and then I read it again. So I actually read things three times. I, I work with, um, I read scripts on my iPad it uh, makes life a lot easier because you don't get the pages turning, uh, interfering with the recording. Oh. 
Um, and you can also annotate the text as well. So if you, yes. the one problem about narrating Little Women was you tended to have paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of speech, and then at the end it said said Beth um, yeah, or yeah. said Joe, and you weren't quite sure which sister was actually narrating. So I colour coded all the all the Ooh, sisters. So you good do that. Thinking. Mm. Isn't that handy? I have heard now that because we're moving away from reading, we are a post-literate society. Is that people say we can read, but we absorb our information in so many different ways from audio to movies to um, all sorts of other mechanisms. Podcasts. Yeah, podcasts, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and the great advantage of that, of course, is for people who are dyslexic um, or on the go all the time, on the go all the time, or um, find it difficult to get books. Um, and I was wondering if, do you see this as being the way of the future, that we are now moving into a world in which between a lack of practice and audio books and Netflix, that, that, that books are going to kind of evolve away. Paper books are going to evolve away and audio books are going to be our, our way of getting information. Um, that's an interesting question. Actually, they're finding that there is a research in America, the, the statistics this year are rather, sorry, from 2018. They're finding that print books are having a massive resurgence. Why is that? And um, I think... Young people are discovering the joy of actually holding a physical book. Mm-hmm. Uh, e-books are no fun to read whatsoever, unless, of course, you're narrating when they're incredibly useful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that you don't get the same experience. And, and to be honest, most people have a smartphone. They don't necessarily walk around with their tablet or their iPad mm-hmm. or whatever else. And you really can't read a novel on a smartphone. But you can listen to an audiobook and you can carry your smartphone and read the book as well. We we are also finding that our largest market is in people who buy the print book and the audio book as well. People like listening to the same title in, in different formats. Um, they don't find that confusing? No, I, well, they don't listen to it necessarily at the same time, although uh, this is actually where ebooks are terribly useful, um, particularly for people who have dyslexia, uh, dyslexia or... Um, any other kind of uh, reading problems, um, you can have what's called a whisper sync, um, where you have the ebook text and listen to the audiobook simultaneously. As well, simultaneously, or you can swap from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But it's tremendously helpful um, because you can learn on how to pronounce names and things and places. Like we, we were laughing the other day. My, my mother, when she was uh, young, used to read a a weekly story comic thing. Um, and there was a chap who said, thereby hangs a tale, and he'd tell a story. And my mother read this, never heard it, and she always thought thereby was therapy. And to <laughs> hang a tale meant to tell a story. It was just another way. And she didn't realise this for years later. Therapy. That's, <laughs> sweet. No, that's sweet. Only it's just an example of... Um, so do yeah. you think audiobooks then are going to help or or do you think it's going to make it more difficult for dyslexics? I think they're tremendous help. Um, In what sense, Catherine? Um, because uh, it can be so difficult for, say, a student at school to absorb um, 
information if they're studying history or whatever to to read a history textbook is a huge challenge for um, a, a student with dyslexia but if they can listen to the book and absorb it and also re- have the text in front of them as well it's a huge advantage and um, they'll they'll be able to keep up with uh, everybody else. They they have said that listening or reading, there's really very little difference to the way you absorb the information. So listening to a book isn't cheating or anything like that. You're still absorbing the information and studying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know when I was a student, I spent hours and hours transcribing reams and reams of textbooks to try and get Mm -hmm. it in my my very sick head. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've discovered that the that's totally useless. The best way of actually absorbing information is to read and listen at the same time. So. Well, I think when you read aloud, you slow down. So if I remember one of the books that you near, um, that you produced, the essential audiobooks produced, um, Term Limits, mm. is a thriller. And mm. what you find you do as when you read a thriller, it's a page turner, meaning you can't stop your speed. You just keep mm. turning the pages faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And this narrator would not pick up the pace I wanted to kill him and and it got to be so Sean stressful Sean did an amazing oh, job it's like fella just pick up the like it was it was he actually added to the stress because mm. I think one of the things we do subconsciously is that when we read a thriller we pick our pick up our own pace ourselves mm. and it's a way of dealing with the stress of the situation that you read faster. I know I skim over over certain sections that I'm scared of. <laughs> like when I was a kid, I wouldn't touch photos of sharks because I was frightened. <laughs> so I think when I read, I kind of hop over bits that yeah. I think are going to be particularly scary. So but if you're listening, enough, you can't. You can't do out. that. So the the the, 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 mm. the audio book of the thriller was more terrifying mm. than the paperback. Which I just did not anticipate. Mm. I thought it would be much of a muchness. You read it, you listen to it, but mm. it was a different experience no, it went altogether. Really well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought, I thought. So, any any tips you want to give? Any final tips you want to give to people entering the creative industry? What have you? Any pieces of advice? Um, you've obviously done. You know, I mean, I actually feel a bit guilty about that. You might tell somebody to do something because it, it strikes me as that you've done something which you've loved and it's worked out magnificently because there was an explosion of audiobooks, like right place, right time, the good luck. You know, although obviously you're a very talented businesswoman and you obviously have a lot of of uh, you know voice artistry. So I'm in no way denigrating or that your inherent skills. Um, but you know, it, it's, well, I was lucky. I did see that the market was going to pick up. Yeah, yeah. When I you're set up the clogs, business. Yeah. So, no, I don't, <laughs> no, no, no. You must have. You saw I, what I, was it, happening. It was you right, right time, it. right place. It was. I was just oh. lucky. Um, you I, took advantage of the luck. You really, really have to love what you're doing. Exactly. Eh? Um, but I, I know I would never discourage anyone from particularly. Um, there are huge opportunities in the audiobook publishing business um not just for performers now i mean i've i've just been at the london book fair and we were talking about audiobooks to a number of publishers and they're actually um outsourcing a lot of their audio because they have decided that the print publisher just doesn't have the appropriate skills and why reinvent the wheel and everything else and they're linking up with um established audiobook 
uh, producers uh, to and, and farming out their titles. Uh, their lists uh, to uh, be produced in audio. So I think that will become a lot more the case in the future. So there'll be um, huge opportunities, the same kind of opportunities in print publishing there will be in audio publishing as well. I'm very glad to hear that. So there's room to manoeuvre. Absolutely. And the, the future, you're, you're optimistic about it, I'm Catherine? I'm very optimistic about it, yes. That's lovely. Absolutely. I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you for yeah. sharing your journey with us. And um, you your experiences with the with the, being a voice artist and starting up essential audiobooks. All of Catherine's contact details um, can be found on our website or indeed on her own at essentialaudiobooks.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with the latest news, events, and podcast updates. The newsletter is available through our Claret Press website or our Clapham Publishing Services website. Claret and Conversation is hosted by myself, Katie. It's produced by Alex Holmes and edited and engineered by Chelsea Moore. We've had additional assistance from Hugo Zhang. <laughs>